Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Now open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. We are continuing our conversation, and, and today will be kind of the last part of this conversation of, of Deeper in Prayer. And We've talked about a lot of different kind of ideas and thoughts about prayer, and we, we've looked at some different kind of situations and moments of prayer. We started out in the book of Ephesians, and we spent some time in 1 Timothy. Uh, then uh, we've spent some time looking at David and some of the writings of David as far as, as, far as prayer goes. And really and truly, when, when we talk about prayer, when we study prayer, some of the greatest prayers that we read are obviously in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has more of a narrative kind of storyline to it in many different ways. So as we've approached some of these uh, topics of prayer, we have, uh, we have gone to some of these Old Testament moments. And we end there today in, in a very, uh, no pun intended, but a very powerful way as we see this story uh, of Hezekiah and a prayer that he prays in the book of Isaiah kind of unfold. Um, I want you to think this is maybe the, the starting point of there is a tremendous amount of spiritual power that God will unleash when we pray prayers for each other. Do you, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? If you believe that this morning, say amen. There is a tremendous amount of spiritual power that God will unleash when we pray prayers for each other. And we're going to talk about this a little bit deeper, but one of the things that I truly believe uh, when we talk about prayer, and when we think about prayer, is the majority of us, I believe when we pray, we pray in this way. We pray a lot of our prayers for other people. Is there a lot of your personal prayer time that is spent praying for other people? Uh, I know that it is mine. We have a prayer list on the back of our of our bulletin. I know some of you keep kind of your own prayer list. And, and when we pray, and when we talk about this, uh, when we come together is make sure to remember this person and this person and this person in your prayer. And so as we think about that idea, as is the topic, uh, the theme of this whole kind of thing, is how do we take something that we do regularly anyway that is a normal part of our prayer life, and how do we take it deeper? How do we understand that what we're doing is powerful, and how do I take it into that next step and, and even tap into greater power of God as I, as I pray. And we see an example of this from the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at a couple of other passages along the way as well. But as we get into this story today, I want you to flip back um, to the, uh, chapter 37, I guess. Chapter 37. I'm sorry, 36 of Isaiah. And we'll kind of set the scene. We'll kind of talk about what's going on here. <coughs> In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, who's, who's Hezekiah? Hezekiah is the king of Israel right now, and, and he is a, a, a good king. You know, the kings of Israel, as you go back and you read Chronicles and First and Second Kings, uh, the kings of Israel, they 
they struggled at times, didn't they? They weren't always uh, the greatest men. You know, the kings kind of started out in a, in, a, in a very positive way with, with Saul and then with David and then with Solomon. Even though they, they all had their struggles and they all had their quirks and they all had their problems, uh, the, the kings started out in a very positive way. But, but God kind of warned the people of Israel that as you go down this road, you're going to have some problems that you don't quite expect yet. This is going to create issues. And any time that you have men seeking power, you're going to have problems, correct? Regardless of where it is, regardless of what it's in, whether it's in a small way or a large way, when you have men seeking power, you're going to have issues. And the kings had had a lot of issues. But King Hezekiah seemed to be a more positive king, a king that was more focused on what God wanted. And God had blessed the people during this reign. Um, but in his 14th year of king, um, Sancrib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judea and captured them. Now, uh, uh, Sancrib here is the Assyrian Empire ruler. He, he is the king of, 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 of the Assyrian Empire here. And between the 7th and 8th centuries, he goes on, or during the 7th and 8th century, kind of overlapping this time, his empire just grows, okay? Uh, especially during this particular writing, which is uh, around 650 B.C., okay, is when this moment takes place. He is on a rampage just going south and conquering Israel and Judah, and eventually he's going to get down into Egypt and conquer those areas. But you see, for, for such a, a, a time that we would say so long ago, he is conquering, this empire conquers, a huge kind of part of the known world at the time. And so he now has his eyes set on Israel. He has his eyes set on, on the people of God. And in our particular story, he has his eyes set on Jerusalem, the seat of power for Israel. Like I said, when there are men seeking power, there's always going to be problems. And in this particular moment, he is fixing to to siege this town. He's fixing to siege this city. And then what he does is he sets up, he sets up a, 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 an army just around the city of Israel. And as we read later at the end of this story, there is at least, at least 185,000 soldiers that have surrounded this city. We don't know the exact number, but we know there's at least 185,000 and 85,000 soldiers that have surrounded this city. Now, part of uh, Hezekiah's um, city planning, if you will, is he had, he had built uh, an aqueduct, if you will, an underground aqueduct from, from a uh, source of water to run into Jerusalem. And one of the things that the king did, it says, Then the king, in verse 2 of Assyria, sent his field commanders with a large army, um, keep on going. When the commander stopped the aqueduct under the pool of the road uh, to the lander's field. So what did he do? He knew that, hey, if, if you want to run, if you want to take over a place, what do you do? Let's surround them and cut off what? Cut off their water. Okay? We, we can figure out, we can eat a lot of different things, things that we don't want to eat necessarily. We can survive. But hey, you cut off their water, and in a week, you have victory. You have victory. Let's cut off their greatest supply. So he has this city of Jerusalem surrounded. Now, 
One of the things that I will just kind of touch on very, just, just very quickly is um, in the British Museum of Natural History, there is this artifact that dates back um, just a few years past this moment. Um, and it is a historical artifact, not biblical, but a historical artifact. And the reason that I show it to you this morning is it historically, uh, uh, out from Scripture, gives an, almost an exact account of what we're fixing to read. And I find that very important to our faith this morning because what it is, is it is history proving the accuracy of Scripture. And I just wanted to throw that out there, and I wanted you to see that, because it's easy for us to say, hey, look, you need to believe the Bible, it's God's Word, right? It's easy for us to just, just say that, but I believe that it just grounds us even more when there are things that are in Scripture and things outside of Scripture, scripture from a historical perspective that line up and say the same thing. It helps us know that God really is who He is and that this is not just made-up stuff. So you can actually go to the British... Um, Museum of Natural History and Art. You can see this, and if you are an expert in ancient languages, you can read it. But I don't think any of us are experts in ancient languages, so you can just go see it. So, uh, but there it is. So let's uh, let's let's look at our actual text though this morning. Okay, so all this stuff's going on, all this stuff's going on, and and we go into chapter thirty-seven, starting in verse one, and Hezekiah the king is getting ready to pray. He's getting ready to pray, and I want you to see what he praised this morning. When King Hezekiah heard this, what, what is he hearing? He's hearing all the things that are going on outside of his city, and not just that, he is getting word of, of this, this conquering king and what he's saying about God, the way he's degrading God. Very, very similar to what um, Goliath says before David, okay, and, and, and talks about how there is no God in Israel and all these different things and all the problems that God has and, and, and all this, you know, how awful God is. And like, he's just, he's just dogging God, okay? And, and so the king of Assyria is doing the exact same thing. When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent uh, Elikam, the palace administrator, Shaban, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for his words, the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Pray for the remnant that still survives. Hezekiah prays a very important prayer. He prays a prayer, interestingly enough, not for those who are living at the moment. He's praying prayers not necessarily for the armies, but he's praying a prayer, number one, that God will, will judge, if you will, the king of Assyria. But also he is praying for those that will survive this onslaught. He knows that there's the, the odds of him winning this battle 
are, are slim to none. I, I mean, he is surrounded by hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers. They've cut off all of their supplies, and he knows it is just a matter of time before we lose this battle. But for those that survive, God, will you please, will you please be with them? Will you please take care of them? There is a certain type of prayer that this is called. It is called intercessory prayer. A prayer that is prayed on behalf of someone else. A prayer that is, is prayed when I take a moment and, and I say I'm going to pray for someone, I, I am interceding on their behalf. And I think that it's important that we understand the power of intercessory prayer, the, the power and the importance of not just praying for ourselves and our own needs, but praying for the needs of others. I think it's also important that we identify what it is. It's important that we identify this as a very specific type of prayer. And the reason I think it's important is because Scripture identifies it as important. We talked about this in our first Sunday night lesson on this from 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Prayer is not just prayer. Okay, there are different ways to pray. There are different types of prayer. And I think it's important that we understand that, that titles and labels, if you will, enhance our understanding. It maybe unleashes a greater understanding of what we're really talking about. And we understand that in just life in general, don't we? We understand that it's important to give, giving things a title makes them seem more important. Giving things a title makes things seem more important. For example... Uh, in football, in football, um, what is the most exciting type of tackle in football? It's got its own special category. What is it? A sack. And what is a sack? It's when someone tackles the quarterback before he has the opportunity to throw the ball. Is it any more important to a game if you tackle the running back in the backfield or the quarterback in the backfield? Which one's more important? Which one... Which one? The quarterback. Why the quarterback? Does it, does, I mean, really, is it still not just the tackle? Doesn't if you, if you tackle the running back in the backfield with the ball and then the quarterback in the backfield with the ball, does it not accomplish the exact same thing? The exact same thing, right? That's what you want. But man, there's something when that commentator goes, and he sacks him in the backfield. Like that just gets you just like, you just feel like you've done something even more special. We're going to give it a title. And we're going to let everybody know this is more important. We're going to give it its own category. I think of baseball. What if you're watching a baseball game and someone comes up to bat and the commentator goes, there's a long fly ball, lands in the third row. That's a run. Is that as exciting as Chip Carey when you're watching the Braves and he goes, there's a long drive, track, wall, home run. If you give it a title, if you give it a name, it just raises the level of it, right? As we think about prayer, God says, the Holy Spirit says through Paul that we need to be praying specific types of prayer. And this morning, we're going to dig deeper into prayers of intercession because intercession prayers are so powerful. But like I said, I think we do that I think we do that, but I think a lot of times our intercessory prayers like this, oh, um, Judd, I, I hear your mom's sick. Oh, I, I hate to hear that. I'll pray for her. And that just kind of rolls into our prayer, you know, dear God, just be with Linda, you know, be with, 
be with Linda and her illness. And not that God doesn't appreciate that prayer, not that God doesn't glorify that prayer, not that that prayer doesn't do something, but there is a deeper idea and effort that needs to be had with intercessory prayer. So let's talk about it from this story, and maybe we can um, dig a little bit deeper and, and understand. So understanding intercessory prayer, there's, there's five things from our text today that we're going to talk about. The first is this, understand the nature of the threat, and that is always spiritual. Understand the nature of the threat and that that threat is always spiritual. Go to uh, verse 17. We're going to jump around in the text of 37, so just kind of uh, follow along if you can. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sandcrib. Uh, listen to the words Sandcrib has sent to ridicule the living God. So as as Isaiah and Hezekiah and all these people are praying... They're praying this intercessory prayer for the people that are struggling, for the problem that's going on. They pray and address the issue. Now, what is the issue? It would be easy to have stood in Jerusalem and looked over the city walls and seen nearly 200,000 soldiers surrounded you and say, you know what the problem is? The problem is we're surrounded. The problem is we're surrounded. But the surrounding is really just a symptom. We have a tendency many times as we face trials and challenges and struggles to want to just deal with the symptoms, the things that we see. But really and truly, most if not all of our problems have a very spiritual context. A very spiritual context. This is what Paul continues to write in Ephesians. He says, for our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. Our struggle is not what? Physical. Okay? He said, uh, it's not, uh, he said it's, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He says, as you face trials, as you face struggles, if you face challenges, understand that you don't just need to look at the top level. You don't just need to look at the symptoms that are going on. And, and Hezekiah and Isaiah in our passage, what did they understand that the real problem is? The real problem was not the army that was around them, but it was the lack of respect, the lack of, of understanding that this king had toward who? The living God. The creator of the universe. And they said, hey, deal with this. Because if we can deal with this, and if we can get this challenge in order, and we can get this guy where he needs to be, then these other problems, these other problems take care of themselves. So as we pray, and as we live this life, and understand the challenges that we face, if you're, if you're kind of dealing with things, and you're praying about things, but you're trying just to deal with the symptoms, and the symptoms aren't getting any better, then maybe you need to take a, take a step back and look deeper, and pray deeper, and see if you can find the spiritual issue that's going on underneath the symptoms that you might be facing, because our problems are not just um, physical, uh, but the threat always has a spiritual idea. So the next idea that I want you to think about is devote a season of prayer. 
Okay, once we look at it and we understand the nature of the threat and we understand the spiritualness of it, it is important that, important that we devote a season of prayer. And that is what Hezekiah does. Hezekiah says, hey, I want these people to get together and we're going to spend time praying for this thing in a very specific way. Now, if you go to the book of Acts in verse two, in verse, chapter 2 and verse 42, look at what it says here. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. What that means is everywhere they went, prayer went. Think about that for a moment. Everywhere they went, prayer went. You know, we talk about taking God out of this place and taking God out of this place and taking prayer out of this building and taking prayer out of this building. But as children of God, if we're devoted, what does that mean? It means that everywhere we go, who goes? God. Everywhere we go, prayer goes. We have to be devoted. We have to say, I'm going to be about this. We see this really um, talked about, I think, in, in a great way. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, as Paul is writing this, he begins to write about basically the preacher uh, of the church there. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Listen to this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And when I think about this, when I think about devoting a period of time, okay, I think about the idea that, that number one, we have to understand what it means to devote, okay, we have to be committed to it, but also inter intercessory prayer is it's a wrestling match. Okay, intercessory prayer is when I put myself in between you and your struggles and go to God on your behalf. When I see you struggling with something, when I see a challenge coming your way, and it may be one of these things that, hey, you know what, let's go back to our young parents for a moment. Our young parents, hey, a lot of us have been there where you are for the very first time. And what we can do is we can pray these intercessory prayers for you to where before you even get to the next challenge, the next challenge of raising your children, we go ahead and put ourselves between you and that next challenge and we begin praying for you for a period of time. So we say for the next month, I'm just going to make it my goal that every time I go to God in prayer, I'm going to put myself between these young parents and the challenges that come in parenting and I'm going to pray on their behalf before they ever get there. We're going to shower that moment with prayer and with blessing and with request of God that He will take care of those moments. So that also means, that also means, and you get this when you see that word wrestling, that that prayer is very personal. That intercessory prayer is very personal. It's not that I'm praying a two-minute prayer before I go to bed and I'm running down this list of people. Not to say, again, that that's not been, uh, beneficial, that God doesn't love that and God doesn't respect that, but true to go deeper. To go deeper means that there is great energy and effort put in to that prayer. And I think some of us are probably better at that than others. I believe some people probably have the gift of praying this way, and I believe some of us probably have to work toward praying that way. But it is a very personal thing and a very engaging thing. And that is why in verse 4 it says, 
Uh, it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of uh, the field commander. So, so he goes on and says, look, we have a very specific prayer that we're praying for, okay? Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Pray and, and devote yourself to that. Let's keep going before we get too stuck on one, stop, one point. The third thing here, and, and maybe one of the most important, is this prayer requires you to humble yourself before God. This prayer requires you to humble yourself before God. Go, go back to the... Um, Go back to verse 1, 37 verse 1. Uh, it says, Then Hezekiah heard this. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. Now, we don't pray like that anymore, do we? We don't pray like that. What if I got up and started praying this morning, and before I started praying, I just tore my shirt? What would you think? What would you think? Some of you would laugh. Jake would laugh at me because Jake's just thinking about, thinking about it makes him laugh. But this was very common. You know, this was a very common way that we read in the Old Testament of, of these guys completely trying to figure out a way in a physical way, okay, to humble themselves. So they degrade themselves. Maybe degrade's not the best word here, but they degrade themselves physically to put their mindset in a place to where they understand that they are coming before the great God that is over all and in all and, and has created all. And so to come to God in intercessory prayer, we have to come to God and say, hey, look, I understand, God, that I can't fix this. I'm coming on behalf of Judd, and I understand and he understands that he can't fix this on his own that the only way that this is fixable, the only way this is doable, the only way this is solvable is with you. And so I humble myself and take myself to the place that I am going to put God in the center of it from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Why is that so important? Because we have a tendency, again, to focus on these symptoms. We have a, the tendency to focus on the challenge and how hard the challenge is instead of how great the God is. Isn't that right? We have a habit of, of focusing on the greatness of the challenge and not the greatness of God. So when we go into the moment with a humbleness, when we go in in a moment to where whether we do it physically, but especially emotionally, that we just empty ourselves and put, us in a, put ourselves in a place of vulnerability, in a place where, where we just, we're not about anything that we've done or that we could do, and we just say, God, I need you. I can't do this. Then we open up to a great power that God has. We tap in. We tap in to the Spirit, to the Son, to the Father, and they are able to do things in our lives that we never could do or would have never expected to be done. It's just, it starts with being humble. The next idea here that I want you to think about, though, is claim the Lordship of God. Claim the Lordship of God. This is how he begins in verse 16. Lord, what? Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, 
You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So these two points really just kind of go together. Once I have humbled myself, then I also need to claim the awesomeness of God. I have humbled myself and I've exalted God. I have put Him in the proper place, in the proper perspective. And I really do believe, guys, I really do believe that a lot of times we're not able to overcome struggles because we don't really do number three and four. We may devote ourselves to prayer. We may pray about this over and over, but sometimes that prayer is, God, I keep doing this and it's not working. Will you please bless what I'm doing so that I can fix the problem? We may not say it in that way, but I think a lot of times we might have that attitude. Instead, we come before God humbled and saying, it's not about me emptying myself. We claim the awesomeness of God and we say, God, Almighty, the God of, of Israel, enthroned. You know, I mean, he's using these words that just that elevate him. We have to put him as the focus. We have to put him in a place where we know there is no doubt that he is in control. What does James say about people who doubt? He says, when you doubt, you're just like a you're you're like a, a boat that's in the middle of the ocean and you're just being blown from here into here into over there and back, and there's no direction and there's no grounding, and, and you just feel tossed from here to there. But when we put God as the center, as the Almighty, we have this grounding. But then as we do these things, there's the last thing that I think is important. We must expect deliverance. We must expect deliverance. Now, don't get that confused with getting what, with getting what I want. All right? A lot of times we think, okay, God's going to answer my prayer and he's going uh, I'm praying to God, God says to ask and I shall receive, right? So I'm going to pray and if I keep praying about this, I'm going to get what I want. Is that how prayer works? Not always. Sometimes Sometimes we go to God in prayer and we ask for this very specific thing and God goes, okay, I'm going to answer it in that way. And we think, man, I was seeking God's will and that's great and I'm doing what I need to do. God answered it the way I wanted him to answer. But there are times, there are times that God comes in and delivers and it's completely different than anything we would have thought. It's in a different way that we, would have, that we never could have come up with. It's, it's just completely different. But the key is this, expect God's deliverance. Don't doubt God. Doubt yourself if you want to. Doubt those around you. But do not doubt God. If you're going to go to God and ask for something, then believe that He is going to respond with something. And then look for that response. Seek that response. Expect that response. Now, in this particular story, God shows up in a great and powerful way. The, the Hezekiah is praying and thinking, there's no way that all of us get out of here. There's no way that all of us get out of here. So what does he do? He goes, pray for the remnant that survives. Pray for those that are left. Because he knew God wasn't going to allow his people to just be wiped out. That wasn't the promise, right? That there was no way that God's promise could be fulfilled if they just completely get wiped out. So he knew that God was going to do something. And he was just, he was praying almost an intercessory prayer of desperation. Just, just whoever survives God, take care of them. But look at how the story ends. Now the Lord our God delivered us from His hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God. Lord, uh, I'm sorry. Now the Lord our God deliver us from His hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, 
are the only God. So he's praying for deliverance. He's expecting deliverance. Look how it ends. Then the angel of the Lord, some of your Bibles are going to say the death angel here, went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were, uh, there were all the dead bodies. Now again, history, the, the, the thing that I showed you earlier, goes on to say that this happened and that what happened was the, the plague, the bubonic plague, swept through the camp and killed everybody over time. But the way Scripture puts it is it happened when? Instantly, overnight. But history says this happened. The Bible says this happened. So we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's angel came and he killed these people that were trying to destroy his people, that were trying to destroy his people. And so what does the king do? So, so Sinkrib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Then if you keep going one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his gods, his sons killed him with the sword and they escaped the land of Ararat. And so even the king himself was, was killed for his actions against God. God delivered. Is that how King Hezekiah ever thought that this was going to end? No. Sometimes God comes in and God answers prayers in ways that we cannot even believe. But why does he do it? Why does he answer in such a powerful way? Because intercessory prayer is that powerful. It's that powerful when we pray it as individuals, but it's even more powerful when we come together and we pray together. Did Hezekiah pray this prayer by himself? Does he pray this prayer by himself? No. He goes and he gets his palace secretary. He gets the kind of one of the next people in charge. And then he also goes to, to Isaiah the prophet and he says, together, let's pray this prayer. And so it's important that not only that we pray as individuals in this way, but we become a church that prays this powerful prayer. Deeper in prayer. Now, I hope that over the last few weeks, that, that your prayer life not necessarily has been challenged, but that maybe you have had moments of reevaluation where you look at it differently and understand that the conversations that we have with God are vital to our faith. They're vital to our existence. Sometimes they're vital to our survival. And I hope that today's lesson draws you deeper into prayer with Him. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank you for this moment to be together. We thank you for the time that we have with one another, the time that we were able to break bread with one another in communion. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his sacrifice, and we thank you for just his willingness to empty himself of all of his godliness and become just like us, to face struggles, to face challenges, to overcome them in, in the most perfect way so that he could be that perfect sacrifice for us, God. Help us to never forget that. Help us to never take that for granted. Help us to always live our life in view of the cross as, as our center point, as our focus every single day. God, I, I pray for our church family as, as we strive to be a church that is devoted to deeper prayer. I pray that we begin to lift one another up in prayer uh, daily, 
in, in very specific seasons as we, as, as we learn each other, as we learn about each other's struggles, as we share in each other's struggles, God, may we, may we pray through those struggles together in a powerful way. Bless those prayers, God. Bless each and every one of us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Is inspired.